Welcome to another episode of Sci-Fi Nomads. I'm Dustin. I'm Lauren. And guess what awesomeness there is? What awesomeness? July 3 will be the one year anniversary of our first episode, Europa Report. Aww. Although... Special day. Yeah, listeners of, of the Atheist Nomads might have listened to that the month before since we were kind of doing a little trial thing there, so... People were not happy about that. There was two that were upset. <laughs> yeah. Some people really liked it, but others others did not, because that's how people are. Well, I certainly enjoyed it, and have been enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, we did also have an episode zero, but I think that actually... That came out, what, yesterday? Well, um... July 2. July 2. Okay, okay yeah. So anyway, that's we're not talking about what happened in the last year with this one. We're talking about a... Uh, like the one time that the prequel is just plain awesome. The prequel was better than the original. Yeah. In our opinions. Mind blown. <laughs> uh, this, of course, if you're wondering, is The Thing. Dun, dun, dun. The first one. 1980- oh, sorry, sorry. No, it's dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun. The first one was 1982 with the name The Thing. Yeah. And the prequel was 2011 also named the thing yeah they no holds bar on the naming convention there they didn't do the thing too the thing before before the thing the <laughs> the better story that we missed the first time remember that really yeah that really awesome bit that that you were all wondering about that should have been told the first time yeah yeah so anyway let's go ahead and and jump right on in oh and, but before we get to that the like, when you look at the original movie, and I know I'm jumping the gun with talking about this now, but we already are, um, It you look at the beginning and it's like, okay, what's the story before this? There has to be a prequel. And you get to the end. Did they actually stop it? Or is there going to be a sequel? And they went with a prequel. But, yeah, I thought that was a smart decision, um, going with the prequel and... Apparently, it was a pretty hard uh, task because they had to go through the first movie and put together all the details yeah. that the, fir- that, the that they told in the first movie and make sure that they were all in this se- this prequel. And they yep. did a really good job. Oh, just wait till probably, what, about 2030 or so when they do the thing again and it's the sequel finally. That'd be awesome. Actually, <laughs> I, I would own that trilogy. That's pretty sweet. All right, anyway, the first one was John Carpenter as the director, screenplay by Bill Lancaster. Kurt Russell was the star, and he was such a young baby. Oh, such a baby. And it's based on Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. So it starts out with my favorite actor, the dog, a Siberian husky running through the snow. Lauren likes dogs. I love dogs. Oh, my God. Okay, and you take a husky, which is... So cute and fluffy. Those are from the Arctic. They're so fluffy. And you have one starting out in the Antarctic. So fluffy. But of course, you wouldn't go to the Antarctic without dogs because sled dogs, because if you need to get out and the vehicles all die because it got too cold and your fuel froze, well, dogs are the way to go. The tails are fluffy. Their butts are fluffy. And they're warm. And their faces are all fluffy. Yeah. Anyway, you start out with this dog running through the snow being chased by... um. A Norwegian helicopter. Said Norge. Norge. And, uh, yeah, they're chasing this dog down, shoot, trying to shoot it. And they chase it all the way to another camp 
where they land and this dog runs to the people in the camp and is looking for protection and these guys are like what's going on crazy norwegians shooting the place up if you know norwegian though total spoiler the guy basically outlines the entire movie in that like five second span (laughs) yeah which of course we don't do we don't worry about spoilers right because these movies have all been out for a while and if you want to avoid spoilers watch them now and then come back we will be waiting for you in your podcatcher there we go anyway major spoiler the guy says get the hell away it's not a dog it's a thing it's imitating the dog it's not real get away you idiots yeah that's okay (laughs) then yeah oh man and it was great i love it and they screwed up so much because like trying to throw a grenade at the dog who's in the middle of a crowd and hits the helicopter because he trips and it slips out of his hand slips out of his hand and blows up the helicopter yeah and then he gets shot by one of the guys because there's a crazy guy with a gun what are you gonna do you're gonna shoot him down and this innocent doggy is all being cute and fluffy and lars as we know him from the prequel uh yeah he killed the pilot who got him there before the captain shot him with his sidearm through a window because yeah guess what you're in the arctic or excuse me antarctic where it's normally gets to like minus 40 degrees and they're in spring or summer or fall when there actually is a day and a night and what's the one of the first things that happens somebody who is there breaks a window busts open the window to make get a clear shot and you're like it's hella cold out there you don't do that you don't destroy your shelter especially with a storm coming oh man yeah that that stuff like that kind of got to me with the movie because they broke like intentionally broke almost every window yeah well don't you know in hollywood windows are meant to be broken but not if you're in antarctica oh man seriously so they have this norwegian mystery and uh, they know that they probably came from this camp that was i don't remember how far away it was pretty miles or so no it was it was a lot farther than that 100 miles yeah because somebody mentioned that the dog can't possibly run that far Actually, dogs... But they can. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> sled dogs, specifically, uh, typically a mix of Malmute and Siberian Husky. Um, SciShow did a really cool thing on this. Uh, check it out on YouTube. YouTube.com slash SciShow. They're, they're awesome. Uh, it's Hank Green's main channel. We have crushes. Uh, crushes on Hank Green. I, I don't know if I'd call it a crush. Man crush. I, I, next time we're in Montana, we need to... Okay. need to try to have a drink with him. Ah. Uh. Uh, anyway but they, they yeah the the with huskies they can keep i mean sled dogs they can keep running as long as you feed them they are the only mammal that doesn't need glucose and glycogen to keep running they can go straight to burning fat and they can just run and run and run pretty amazing little creatures and if you feed them they can keep running so fluffy and they don't get tired and then they can start the next race and do even better the next week after running like 1200 miles it is yeah. they're aliens well they're things <laughs> they're all the things so they go to investigate investigate the norwegian camp find it abandoned burnt down um they're finding deformed bodies that were burned with kerosene uh so what do they do they take one of the bodies back with them well, and they don't really show the body all that well right then. You eventually, like, you never get a full picture of the whole thing. 
that is where the first movie was artistically superior, I think, than the second movie, was that they did a really good job of never giving you a full view of whatever the monster is. Now, part of it, I think, was artistically trying to suspense. M- maximize the suspense, and I also think part of it was just limits of the technology. Yeah, there was, uh, the first one was definitely um, puppeteering, for the most part. And the second one was almost all CGI, so you can kind of guess how that would look. Um, back at the camp, the dog is free, freely roaming the base, because mm-hmm. he's a doggo, and he's awesome. And the dog keeper, for some reason, decided not to just put him in the kennel well, with the other dogs. apparently he was, like, really well-behaved and was just wandering around. Finally, they point out to the guy that, yeah, they probably need to put him in the, with the other dogs. Um, at which point, all hell breaks loose. The dogs all start panicking. One tries to chew through the kennel. Yeah, like trying to like break the wires with its teeth. And this this dog, my favorite dog, unfortunately, becomes a monster. It basically turns inside out. Yeah, with, right. With creepy whipping tentacles. Oh, it's I. It's one of the goriest monsters they're, that I've ever seen. And, and they're they're kind of like a weird cross between antenna and tentacles. Yeah. Spider legs. And they can spear through you and then split open like a kind of a like a, a grappling hook type thing. It's a inverse grappling hook and then pull and that way they it's can nasty. they can get you. Oh, it was, it was creepy. Anyway, creepy, creepy. they 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 hear the ruckus, they come down, they call for a flamethrower and burn the thing to a crisp. So at this point they've seen a deformed body they, of a a human, they've seen a deformed dog monster body. And um, the doctor that's there, one of the doctors that's there does a, an autopsy. And he, show, he, he explains that this thing was in the middle of absorbing the dogs. Like, maybe trying to imitate them? Yeah. And dun, then dun, dun. he just gets so focused. <laughs> he gets obsessed. Um, the Americans go to investigate. And this is when they, uh, they they go investigate back to the Norwegian camp and to find out what they were digging for, where they found this original thing and uh, found a spaceship. And in the first movie, they do do a brief clip at the very beginning of the film of a UFO crashing on Earth. So you know that there's an alien involved. Mm-hmm. Whether that alien was crashing because it was being taken over or if it crashed because of some other reason. We don't know if this is the original alien that owned the spacecraft or if this was something else. Right. It's in a way, uh, because the, the way the, the, the thing uh, reproduces is by its cells coming in contact with another creature. Those cells will start absorbing and replicating the cells of the creature and then continue to... Then they'll, they'll replicate, and then they'll absorb the next cells. And you can maintain the full function of life as you perfectly replicate every cell and then replace it one cell at a time. And then, of course, when it's convenient, then it goes into eat mode to do a little bit more rapid absorption. Eat mode. That's what I do. <laughs> I just go into eat mode and then sleep mode. So it seems kind of like what basically it... It absorbs and and replaces you, and then replaces all of your internal organs with its digestive bits, which still involve lots of tentacles and yeah, right, inside out bloody parts. And then it, it you know goes ahead and and comes out. 
but it's yeah, it's not clear. Is this kind of xenomorph like where it's a, it's changing and learning and growing as it absorbs and takes over new right, creatures? Because in order to perfectly imitate these human beings, it has to base it has to have some basic idea of their memories. Because it can talk, it can carry on conversations, and seriously it's, imitate them. Some of them, I mean, it almost seems as if they're not even aware that they're an alien. Yeah. Which is, like, terrifying. <laughs> so, but yeah, is it, but it's very unclear, is it, was it the original alien infected by a virus, or is it the virus? Yeah. Anyway, Doc is performing some computer simulations that show the cells being uh, imitated and reproduced and is asking the computer questions and in 1980s glorious fashion it responds exactly like mother from alien yeah. <laughs> um in like full like full sentences and he asks like questions in full sentences and it's just weird it's we don't even do that nowadays, and we're in the future. And we're finally at the point where the technology can actually figure out your questions. Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, we're only just getting to that. Anyway, it confirms that the thing is highly contagious. It's probably already infected a crew member. Um, if it were to get out in the population, it would take over the human population in a matter of, what, 120 days or something? Something like that, yeah. It was, like, insanely short amount of time. It would take over the, the entire human race and who knows what other animals. So, um, yeah. And then he doesn't share the news with anybody. Instead, he he goes crazy. Yeah. He, he becomes crazy with the knowledge that somebody out there isn't what they appear to be. So he destroys the lab. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dismantling equipment, shooting at people. And then eventually they subdue him and lock him up in a shed. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is, and then this is shortly after they, one of the, the crew members is taken over. And um, they chase it outside into the snow where they're like, Bennings, Bennings. And then he turns around and his arm is all deformed. And then he he does this scream. And the scream from this thing is a really well-known scream. If you know, um, like pop culture references and stuff, uh, a lot of a lot of movies or TV shows will use this scream as um, as kind of a sound bite. It's really creepy. It was really well done. He screams and then they burn it. Oh, man. And they use so much kerosene. So much kerosene. I don't know how they have any for later, but they do. And flares. They're always setting off flares. They're always dropping flares. And they're using flares to burn everything. And just dumping full containers of kerosene, multiples, and then throwing a flare in it. The, um, meanwhile, the other doctor, Copper comes up with a blood test, and this is the famous blood test that South Park makes fun of, and I think the Simpsons brought it up once. Uh, what they, after a few more deaths, they finally complete the blood test using a hot wire. Mm-hmm. And what they do is um, they notice that the thing will separate itself, and parts of it will try to go on and survive, and like sacrifice the, whole, the rest of it to try and get away. So the so their theory is if you hurt even a cell, it will try to escape. Right. So, and and Dr. Copper had also figured out that every cell is an individual organism. Yeah. It's 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 like a like coral. A colonial or uh Yeah. organism, not 
indi- necessarily individuals. Each can survive on its own, but they don't like to. So, so they have the scene where everybody's tied up. Everybody who's a suspect is tied up to uh, a couch, and they're going through and they're um, testing the blood. They finally expose somebody who like starts going all crazy. Well, he, still tied to the couch. Right, he's tied up, and everyone else is still tied there, right next to him as he's going all nuts. They finally kill him. Yay! And then we get. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. When you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. Yeah, um, because the uh, the rest passed the test, including the uh, the the captain who everybody suspected was the bad guy. Oh, and the one thing they don't ever answer: he's wearing a naval uniform without anything on it, so it's just the clothes, no insignia, no name tag. Dustin has a thing about uniforms, and. He's a Navy captain, and he's kind of in charge of this civilian research base, but not necessarily, and they don't explain why he's there. Because he has a gun. They all have guns. <laughs> that's true. It's the Cold War. So I don't know if that's why. Yeah, it's so like the rest of them passed the test. They decide to go out to Blair, whom they have tied up in a shed, to go test him, but they found that he has actually dug himself out of the shed using a tunnel underneath the shed and has escaped with a whole bunch of parts that he has stolen from like the helicopter and the bombardiers yeah so like the entire time he was in there yeah he dug uh, the tunnels dug a, a nice big cavern and yeah stole parts from every single piece of equipment to build a spaceship and it was almost complete yeah so that was really cool um, they finally start going through room by room, blowing stuff up, burning it all down. Uh, as, as Blair's the final big, bad alien guy. Big, bad, big, bad guy. Um, they're tra- trying to track him down, and the only way they can do it is by burning everything down. Trap him in the generator room, at which point there's not very many of them left. And they're setting dynamite charges and fail to set off any of them. Well, they go off in their own time. Eventually. Just um, not when he wanted. Yeah. So basically everything's burned down to the ground. The big bad monster thing has been defeated. There's two of them left. McCready, who is kind of like the Kurt Russell guy. He's like the main character. And um, the guy that he kind of headbutts with the most, mm-hmm. Childs, they're sitting there and are just waiting, I guess, waiting to die, waiting yeah. to freeze to death. Right, they just burned down their base. The problem is, is that we know at this point that this alien can can freeze successfully and still survive. So if either one of these guys is the alien, the other one's basically letting them survive. Well, they're, by not burning, they should have burned each other up. They'd already tested and found that neither one was an alien. That was like a whole like twenty minutes before those. But so then they were both. Things, they were separated. They were separated and both fought Blair. Who could have infected either or both of them? Yeah, so I definitely think uh, I, th- I think McCready was the thing that would work. Yeah, yeah, he was the most sure that he wasn't, so it, it would serve him right. It would, it was especially an- at that last scene. He was acting weird. Yeah, and he's just an arrogant helicopter pilot <laughs> with a mullet. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's the. It's not really a cliffhanger ending, 
but it opens it up for a sequel, which they were going to do. But um, I'm glad they went with the prequel instead, and we'll go into that more. Especially since a sequel, depending on how they do it, it could either be more researchers find one of them, and by this time the thing has figured out how to hold off a bit longer, mm. or a rescue team shows up, finds... Like the next morning or like something. Like the next morning, finds one of them half-frozen, and then takes him to Buenos Aires. <laughs> dun 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 it would make for an amazing, like, C or D movie. Yeah. Yeah, it would. It would. <laughs> uh, the end of humankind as we know it. <laughs> so the prequel came out in 2011. So this is years and years and years later. They had been working on this for this entire time. 28 years. Yeah. The, somebody had their hands on it at some point for 28 years. And they couldn't figure out if they are going to do a sequel or if they were going to go ahead and tell the story of the Norwegian camp, that's what they finally went with. And um, like Dustin and I said, we we thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, the the main character, the McCready equivalent, and actually what was hilarious was there was a helicopter pilot that was, was like... Very Kurt Russell-like. Like almost a carbon copy McCready. Yeah. But the McCready character was actually Kate. Yeah, Kate, Katie. She was um, who was a scientist. Who was a scientist? Now, this is a this is a sci-fi trope that rules all tropes, right? The the movie starts with um, some kind of secret agency or group starts to collect scientists from all over the world for some special project that they don't tell them about because uh, they have to go and see it for themselves. They go down to some isolated area where this. Mm-hmm. Something is usually alien, and um, of course, it's too big of an opportunity to just walk away. Greed overcomes common sense, and the alien kills everybody. This happens in happened in Predators. <laughs> yeah, happened. It happens all the time. Well, and, and just like with uh, the the original, where you've got stuff happening and people speaking Norwegian during the opening credits. You start out... No major spoilers, though. The prequel with a crew of Norwegians driving in one of their big bombardier vehicles, and they're just to be bombardier vehicles, and they're cruising along the ice, and all of a sudden, a crevasse opens, and their vehicle just starts falling, and then it gets stuck, and they're there, and their lights are shining, and they see something. They see big metallic object, which is a spaceship. Then that's awesome. Flash forward to Kate. Uh, Who's starting a an paleontologist? Yeah, she's starting an autopsy on a, the frozen remains of some large uh, Siberian tiger or something predator, some bear something. And um, this colleague of hers shows up with some stranger, and they say, "Here's your once in a lifetime opportunity. You have to come with us because we need you." She goes along with it. With a couple other experts. Um, goes down to Antarctica to go take a look at the spaceship and the specimen, quote unquote, that they dug up. Which mistake number one? They actually don't yeah. dig it up. They 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 take her to actually before they dig it. Yeah, um, to they figure want, out how best to, to take it out. Of the she's ice. the expert. So they show her the spaceship. They show her the specimen, and they're like, "Okay, how long will it take to get this out?" And she's like, "Well." With the crew and the equipment, it'll take half a day. 
And she had to tell them exactly how to do it. And they do. And they bring it back to base. The main scientist guy wants to uh, take a tissue sample. Which she objects to openly in front of everyone. Right. Because what if there's like some kind of disease hidden in this creature? No. Or you could damage it. Damage the remains, which they totally do. They use a drill to drill through the ice and they kind of like puncture the creature. Grab a chunk of the exterior flesh. Which is, you know, problematic. Um, He takes this sample, takes a look at it, discovers the same thing that the doctor in uh, the first movie discovers that the cells are replicating and and all that stuff. And uh, in the meantime, everybody's celebrating this big find. This is the first alien that's ever been discovered on Earth. Um, And I love the scene with the Norwegians all drunk and dancing and singing. Very, very... Very nice little scene. It is, yes. They even have the the king in the north, well, the little king in the north from uh, uh, Game of Thrones. The big, big tall guy with the red beard. Oh, yeah. One of the kings of the free folk. Or a chieftain or something. Yeah, he's he's cool. He's cool. Uh, When one of the Americans goes, he's all suspicious. He goes and looks at the creature, gets scared, but nothing happens. And then as he's leaving, the thing jumps out of the ice through the roof. And is alive in a way, and that's now, the end of the party. Now, one thing that was interesting they showed that they did a really good job with was he's in there looking at it, and you get various camera angles of the melting ice, and you see, like right as he starts to leave, the tip of the thing's claw becomes exposed, which shouldn't be happening because this room is in freezing temperatures. Uh, no, it's inside the compound; it'd be warmer. A little bit, but not melting. They should be keeping it colder than that, that so that stupid. it doesn't yeah. melt. You want to melt it under exact circumstances. Although they probably were thinking it's a big enough chunk of ice that it'll take long enough. But nope, nope, it was melting fast. And the as soon as the claw became exposed, it was revived. Yep, yep, it revives and starts imitating the crew. Um, they go on a huge panic attack. They come up with a blood test as well, but it gets destroyed. Uh, somebody burns down the lab, so let's, you know, suspicions are flying all over. It's like, who who sabotaged it? Kate had figured out, though, in the bathroom, uh, she found these weird metallic objects on the floor. And she didn't couldn't quite figure out what they were, and then she sees there's a bunch of blood in the shower. And then when she goes back, the blood is gone, and she figured out they were fillings. And the thing can replicate organic tissue, but not inorganic materials and part of how they figured that out was uh their their friend and colleague who had been taken by it and been they had, eaten by creatures they had killed the first thing and while doing the autopsy they found his partially replicated and reconstructed body complete with well just straight up complete not fully formed but complete and outside of that was a titanium plate yeah, the guy had broken his arm the year before, and uh, they're like, well, if this was it doing outside of the body, dun-dun-dun. So, and then it all comes together in her head, and she figures out, yeah, it just can't. So, with no blood test being available, she tries the next best thing. She separates the crew based on whether or not they have fillings or not, um, which half the crew has feel- fillings, including herself. Mm-hmm. So, they're, they, they get flamethrowers and are packing. 
And then about half the crew has either porcelain fillings or have clean teeth. And um, including her colleague, they get put on the other side of the room. Uh, It's a big old standoff. Um, The Americans had crashed a helicopter off in the distance sometime before. That was when she discovered the fillings. Uh, They suddenly show up again. Mm -hmm. And um, she has to deal with these people who might be aliens, plus these guys who might be aliens. And she's pretty much taken charge by this point, and everybody's letting her. Yeah, because she's the only one who even has an idea of what to well, look for. she has the backing of Lars, who, even though he doesn't speak English, and she doesn't speak Norwegian... They're best buds. They trust each other, and he has the flamethrower. Yay! So, yeah. Um, they pretty much come up... Everybody dies... In some way, they either die because they become the thing or be from the thing killing them. Uh, they burn the place down. The one guy finally, uh, who is the thing, escapes on in one of the tractors. Um, she chases after him with the uh, American pilot. They go back to the spaceship. There's a showdown in the spaceship, which is actually pretty cool. Just mm-hmm. see the inside of the spaceship and while it's turning on, while it's ready turning to on take and getting off. ready, and they blow it up with a grenade. One grenade blows up the entire thing. It's well, like, it's right inside. I know, but come core. on. Because, of course, you're going to be putting your nuclear reactor right in the middle of your, your bridge. Right, right. <laughs> God. Yeah. Anyway, they, they both exit. They make it out, her and the um, pilot. And then she's like, do you know how I knew that you were human? It's because you had your earring. And the, the pilot reaches for his earring. And she's like, no, it was the other ear. And then burns him. Yep. It was awesome. (laughs) Now, when we first watched it, I thought, you know, it very easily could have fallen out. His earring could have fallen out or something. And that maybe she committed murder. And that that would be a great cliffhanger. Watching it the second time, though, he wouldn't have reached for the wrong ear. Well, also... If that were the case. 1983, a man with an earring. Which ear... Told you if he's gay or straight. Oh, that's a myth. That was a thing then. It's not now, but that was more of a thing then. And if she, so she might have paid closer attention to that. And even if it is a myth, uh, good for a movie trope, okay. because there was some obvious sexual tension between them right, right from the get go. And so it was her way of knowing. So yeah, she knows that the earring was missing. He he does the he does the. Th- evil monster scream when he burns that's the other reason why i think that that was probably not it would have made a good cliffhanger but it it didn't so then she's there sitting in the truck and she knows that she can't go anywhere because she might be infected or she just burned down the she just there's nowhere to go so she just sits there and it pans out and we have the credits now this is really cool because in the first movie the opening credits started with the Norwegian helicopter chasing the dog. The closing credits goes back to that. Lars survived all the fire. Some rescue cut chopper, chopper comes the next morning and he... The blue Norge helicopter. He basically takes over the helicopter because he sees a dog run out into the snow. Mm-hmm. Knows it's the thing. And then during the closing credits, they get right back into it with the helicopter chasing the dog. It was beautifully done. Right. Well, and when it was, uh, Lars was sent to check on the, the two American pilots and got knocked out or something. He gets pulled into the shed 
And then he's not seen from again until after that. And Kate kept asking him, what did you do to Lars? And he said, we didn't kill him. That's all he would say was that he didn't kill him. And so, yeah, when they break to mid-credits, Lars jumps out of the shed when the helicopter's arriving. Yeah, sees the, the dog and gets on the helicopter and they fly off to the American base. Yep. So, and the details that they had to do to make it all work. So in the first movie, you see the deformed body. You see an axe in the door. Um, they find a body that has been frozen that uh, killed its, you know, the guy. Obviously, slit his own throat and died. Mm-hmm. And in the second movie, that's all. It all wraps up, and it's great. So, like, yeah, you've got the axe in the door. Where while Kate and the McCready like pilot are fighting the thing, uh, he hits one of it with the axe. And it sticks It's like an the arm wall. piece or something. Is... Well, it started out as somebody's arm. Yeah. And yeah, he splits it in half with the axe. The axe sticks into the wall. He goes to grab it again, and Kate says, no, leave it, because it was all covered in, in the thing blood. Yeah. So it would have been infectious. During the closing credits, with the helicopter flight, they do some uh, flashes of the camp, including the radio operator at his station, throat slit. Yeah, you always assume that the thing had gotten to him, but they never sh- explicitly showed it. So um, it was in the ending credits where they showed him frozen with blood dripping down his wrists and stuff. It was like, oh, that's what he did. He killed himself. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. The deformed body that was burned outside, that, that was that was there for the um, next crew to find. Yep. It, it was great. Oh, man. And they, they showed how it formed with modern cgi oh it was creepy it was creepy and disgusting and awesome yeah like i said this is probably like the goriest monster movie not gory like people being ripped apart but like the monsters themselves was like inside out and gory yeah yeah Uh, they, they made a very very freaky freaky monster yes they did so um what was your favorite part oh I don't really have any single favorite part. Oh, okay. It's because both of them are one of those where there's no single moment that is incredibly compelling. It's the whole thing combined. Okay, that makes sense. I uh, But with the, the prequel, yes, there would be one favorite. And that's when Kate figures out that the professor had become the thing and she was vindicated and got to kill him. <laughs> finally she got to kill the guy who's been an ass to her the entire yeah. time yeah that's pretty good um lars is my favorite just the fact that this big norwegian guy who can't speak english is like the badass who's almost survived well and what's what's weird is they because everybody else speaks english all the americans speak english the brits speak english and the norwegians except for lars all speak english so they make and he's big he's got a beard and they make him look stupid. Yeah, yeah, because he he doesn't understand what's going on a lot of the times. He figures out the filling thing pretty fast. Um, he figures out the flamethrower thing pretty fast. He's obviously a very intelligent person. He just doesn't have that. He has a language barrier, and um, but he's also kind of that trustworthy big teddy bear character. And so I've really liked Lars, and of course the dogs. I love the dogs, the big old fluffy butts. <laughs> uh, I'm a sucker for dogs. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, leave it, Bucky. 
Speaking of which, our dog is trying to eat trash. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, it was... I, I really like the fact that the prequel was better than the original. Um, and, and let me... I'll not necessarily even say better, because the story they used was all laid out in the original. It was just these little snapshots that they had to piece together to tell the more compelling story. And the fact that it's better is just because, even in the, the watching the original, you want to know what happened at the Norwegian base. Yeah, they set that up really well. And so you've got that curiosity drawing you into it. And so many prequels are, the whole point is explaining the world and the universe that it all takes place in. So like The Hobbit provides more information about what is this, what is Middle Earth like? And the Star Wars prequels tell you all about how the Empire came to be. But The Hobbit came first. It did? Yes. Oh. The Hobbit was written first. Okay, never mind then. Oh well. And, but the point stands. But yeah, it, they tend to be less interesting and they're very much written for, well, if they're done well, they're written for the fans. And if they're done poorly, um, they piss off the fans. Yeah. And, and I, I can't say that I was a fan of the thing, but I'd certainly hope that fans, the fans were pleased with the result of the prequel. Right. Because with the, with this prequel, they took... They didn't try to explain anything. They just told the story that needed to be told. Yeah. With details that were already laid out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you, what was your least favorite thing? Uh, <laughs> the windows. Oh, that's just going to bother you. They all should have frozen to death. There was, the windows definitely, definitely bothered me. Uh, the, the kerosene... Unless they were using it for the generators. Um, the endless supply of kerosene. What, didn't we determine that they were probably using it as fuel? Oh, I looked into that. No, you don't run straight kerosene in a diesel engine. You do a mix. Ah. But there wasn't big canisters of diesel anywhere. Just kerosene. And that all seemed kind of sketchy. Um, so, yeah, it was basically that. The, 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 and if it was... Their key to survival, I think they would have been a little bit stingier with it. The endless supply of... of uh, Flamethrower? Torches. Yeah. Flares. That seemed... The endless supply of flares seemed odd. They had tons of flamethrowers. And the part that actually bothered me the most, now that I'm actually thinking about it again, with the flamethrowers, they torch it, let it burn for five seconds, and then immediately put out the fire. If every single cell is infectious, they're only burning the outside skin. Which is why later they let it burn longer. That was just at the beginning, I think, when um, they uh, they weren't, weren't really sure how the thing worked. So all they saw was a monster. They wanted to get to stop moving. So they burned it with a flamethrower. It stops moving. They put out the fire because it's a freaking fire <laughs> and it's a hazard. And uh, and then it's only later when they're like, you know, burn it to the ground that they finally just let it burn. But even then, they still don't burn it that long. It just seems, it seems like they aren't burning it long enough. Ah, well, movie, you know. But yeah, okay, yeah. Movie physics, what can you say? Uh, I, I get, I can, I have a tendency to get bogged down with stuff like that. Yeah, the little details. Yeah. Yeah. And the captain. 
Everything about the captain bothers me. Oh, man. He wasn't even a thing. Nope. All right. Well. Um, so. Yeah, that's pretty much everything. Are we counting that as the good, the bad? and Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had our favorite and least favorite. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next month, um, we'll be doing another movie or series. We don't know yet which one it's going to be, but check our Facebook page and we will release something as soon as we decide. Probably so, when we start watching it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for a wonderful year. Yeah. This has been awesome. And uh, we don't have a good sign-off for this. We've been no. doing this for a year, and we still, still don't have a good sign-off. Have a sweet summer. Or winter if you're in the southern hemisphere. Or keep looking to the stars. Keep looking. No, we can't use that. No, that's SciShow. Or no, um, Star Talk, right? Yeah. Damn. Um, yeah, whatever. All right, do whatever. whatever the, do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. You can visit us on the web at scifinomads.com, email us at contact at scifinomads.com, tweet us at scifinomads, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash scifinomads. In each case, it's spelled S-C-I-F-I-N-O-M-A-D-S. No spaces and no hyphens. Theme music in this episode is Urban Jungle 2061 by Eric Matias, www.soundimage.org. <laughs>